I want to turn first of all to Psalm 50. It speaks here about verse 8, I don't reprove you for your sacrifices. I shall take no young bull out of your house. And it's a little difficult to understand this passage very clearly. So I want to read it to you from the Living Bible. <clears throat> in verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll rescue you and you will honor me. Listen to this. <clears throat> the Lord's telling the people in the Old Testament, I don't need your sacrifices of flesh and blood. What I want from you is to give thanks to me, means for all that I've done for you. I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so that I can rescue you and you can give me glory. <clears throat> I have many times found, particularly in the Old Testament, <clears throat> that the Living Bible uh, explains it very clearly. It's one of the things I got my children to read when they were young, particularly the Old Testament, because that's a very beautiful translation, because we hear so much in the church of <clears throat> making sacrifices and denying ourselves, which is all good, but the Lord says the main thing is I want you to trust me in your times of trouble. And as long as we live in this world, <clears throat> we're going to have a lot of times of trouble or testing or difficulties, problems. And what does the Lord want us to do? That we honor Him by saying, Lord, I trust you. In this very difficult situation, I don't know what the answer is. <clears throat> could be problems in our work, in our life, in the health, or so many things. The only thing the Lord says, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble. Please remember that, dear brothers and sisters. If you don't need it today, one day you will need it. The word of the Lord, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so that I can rescue you. In other words, he can't rescue us if we don't trust him. That's the law of God. It's like the law of gravity. You know, in science, people make use of the law of gravity for various purposes. So here's a law. I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so that I can rescue you and then you will glorify me. So let's keep that in mind. I want you to turn now to <clears throat> 1 Peter, 1 Peter in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to begin at verse 19. This finds favor with God if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows and trials when suffering unjustly. Now, I don't know whether you are suffering unjustly right now, but if you have lived 
even a few years on the earth, we'll discover that somebody or the other has treated us unjustly or accused us of something we were not guilty of. We could face problems with our relatives. We can face problems in the place we work. And the New Testament speaks a lot about suffering unjustly. Where we don't deserve it. We did what was right, but we were misunderstood. Sometimes even parents misunderstand their children and uh, punish them wrongly. So it starts in childhood. And as we grow up, in this world, there's going to be a lot of unjust suffering. So, it says here, in such situations, I mean, if you're badly treated because you did something wrong, there's no credit. Verse 20, the last part says, but when you do what is right and suffer patiently for it, this finds favor with God. So it's God who allows such things to happen to us. It's a wonderful thing to know that in every situation in our life, it doesn't escape the notice of God what we're going through. Sometimes our small minds, it's difficult for us to understand how Almighty God who runs this universe can be interested in just one individual like me. It's very difficult. I mean, a person who's got even a few children cannot can wonder, how can I deal with all our children? But how can a God who's running this universe be personally interested in each of us? And that is the faith we must have and must never lose. That's one of the things that Jesus constantly tried to emphasize to his children, to his disciples. I'll give you one example of that. If you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, where he told the people not to be afraid. One of the things, there are two examples he gave. He said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, Don't be afraid of those who can hurt your body or even kill you. That's quite a word. Don't be afraid of even somebody who's trying to kill you. Now it's natural for us to be afraid if somebody's, we come into a situation where somebody's coming to kill us with a gun or a knife or anything. I hope none of us will ever face it, but if we ever face it, here's the word of God. Don't be afraid of those who are able to kill you. The only person you should be afraid of is God. That's what he says there. Fear him. And then he tells us in verse 29 and 30 and 31. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for one cent? And one cent was the smallest coin available at that time. It's like saying one penny. One cent. That's the smallest coin available. He says, you can get two sparrows. In those days, you could buy two sparrows for just one cent. And even those two sparrows, each of them cost half a cent. If one of them dies after you bought it, you may not bother about it because you say, well, it's only half a cent. 
But it says your heavenly father knows even that. It's very important that we teach our children these truths from the time they are very young. It will help them. You know, we correct our children so much and it's necessary. We provide for them food, clothing, education. But here's something very important for us to give to them. The knowledge that they are very, very precious to God. These are, Jesus used illustrations. You go to the market and buy two sparrows for one cent. And one of them dies and you don't bother, but God does. Because that's something he created. You didn't create that sparrow. But God in heaven created that one sparrow that cost half a cent. And he cares for it. For you it was worthless. And it's very important as our children grow up into going to a world which is evil. And the world is becoming more and more evil. Particularly our schools. I was in school 75 years ago. And it was so much better. My children were in school 35, 40 years ago. And it was easier. But today, everything I hear and read is so bad and our children have to go into that environment. What do they need? Yeah, we correct them for a lot of things at home. But it's very important for them to know that the Lord is with them wherever they go. They can sometimes condemn themselves. I've been such a good bad boy or a bad girl. It doesn't matter. We have to assure them that the Lord will be with them even if they have slipped up God forgives, he's merciful, and he'll be with them. They are more value than sparrows. And the other word in verse 30, he gave another example. He said, think of all the hairs in your head. You can't count them. But they have been numbered. Now, you know, the word numbered can be understood in two ways. Uh, One is, God knows the number of hairs on your head. But that's not all. He knows which hair is 335 and which hair is 647. It's amazing how... It's unbelievable, the things that Jesus taught. If Jesus had not said it, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe that all the people in the world, and there are so many millions of them, and God knows every single one of them, even the hairs on their head. See, the reason he used that example is because that is the one thing in our body we don't care, even if a hair drops off. I mean, I have so little, but if I see a hair on my pillow in the morning, it doesn't disturb me. Not at all. And God says, I know when that hair dropped off your head. It was about 2.38 in the morning. When you were fast asleep, the hair fell off your head. Can you imagine a God who is, it's almost, it's almost like I'm telling a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. I tell you, I've been a Christian now 64 years, and one of the things that has helped me the most is these verses that I am reading to you. In difficult situations, that God cares for the sparrows that are worthless, and cares for the hair on our head, which we don't even know when it drops off.
please teach your children that and repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, so that they will know that they have a heavenly father who cares for them in the midst of an evil world, in the midst of all the ungodly influences in their schools. God cares for them. Let's turn back to 1 Peter in chapter 2. Before that, I want to show you a verse, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. In the King James Version, that's the version I used to read because there was no other version in those days, 50, 60 years ago, that was available. In the King James Version, this verse reads, Exhort one another daily. But here in the NASB that I've been using now for about 50 years, it says, Encourage one another daily. Now the impression we get in our mind is, which is the right thing, which is the right verse. Exhort is a word which means challenge a person, rebuke a person, correct a person. That's exhort. Encourage doesn't have that type of meaning. Encourage means say something that will lift up his spirit. And uh, he'll walk with a smile and happy. That's encouraged. So this, this, the Bible, the New Testament was written in a language called Greek. That was a language which was prevalent in the world when Jesus came to earth. And uh, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard that it's got a, its words have got a wide range of meaning. And that's perhaps one reason why God used it to write the New Testament in that language. Even though that was not the language Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke another language in Israel, Hebrew and Aramaic. And that's the language the disciples spoke, but they wrote the New Testament in another language. And so here is a word in the Greek language, which means exhort and encourage. That's amazing. That that when God uh, speaks a word of exhortation or rebuke, it is also to encourage us. That's the thing that I was blessed to understand, that that one word has got two meanings. So when I read a word in scripture, which is like a challenge, and rebuking me, remember, that word's got two meanings. It's also to encourage me. Because God is a God of encouragement. And encouragement is not something that easily comes to us. Fathers and mothers are very quick to rebuke. I know that because I was a father myself and little children at home. Rebuke and correction comes much more easily to us as parents than encouragement. It comes much more easily to us as husbands and wives than encouragement. If we look back over our past life as fathers or mothers or husbands or wives, we'll find that we have spoken much more words of correction and rebuke more than words of encouragement. And that's one thing I've been convicted of myself. And I say, Lord, 
We need to learn this. Encourage one another every single day. It's, it, that's as much a command of God as another command which says, don't kill anybody. Speak the truth. I think speaking the truth, most of us would have taken it very seriously. I don't think anybody here will knowingly tell a lie. You speak the truth. But it's the same Bible that it says, we must also speak words of encouragement. And that doesn't come so easily to us. But it's something we have to learn. Just like a person who's put, spent his life telling lies has to learn how to speak the truth. People who have spent their life observing quickly the faults in other people rather than the good points. You know, our nature, which we have got from Adam, has got this tremendous ability to spot a weakness in somebody quicker than something good in that person. It's just our nature. It's called the flesh. It's absolutely evil. That's not God's nature. God looks for something good, even in the worst person. I find that in many actions of Jesus, you know, to encourage one another. Jesus was always in that business. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 8, we read of a Roman centurion whose servant, Matthew 8 verse 6, was lying paralyzed at home. Now the Roman centurion was like a captain of a hundred soldiers and his slave was not even a Roman. The slave must have been of some other lower race, probably not even a Jew, but from some other very poor race of community. Now, the average captain of a soldier wouldn't be bothered about it. If his servant is paralyzed, he'll say, well, too bad. Let's get rid of him and get another servant. But this centurion had a concern for his servant. And he walked many miles to go and meet Jesus in Capernaum. That was not his hometown. He was living somewhere else and he walked all the way to Capernaum or, I don't know, he took a chariot or something. And he went to meet Jesus just to get Jesus to heal his servant. That's the first thing we see about this man. His compassion for the poor. And I tell you, God cares for those who have a compassion for poor people. The second thing I see is he believed that the Lord could heal his servant. Paralysis is not something, you see a paralyzed person, you don't think that doctors can't heal him or anything. He had faith that this Jesus he had heard about would heal him. You see, nobody, so many good qualities in a person. When you meditate on scripture, you discover why Jesus did something for him. He had some, such a compassion for this poor servant and he had faith. He was not, he didn't have a Bible or anything like the Jews. He was a Roman who probably believed in other gods, but he 
believe that Jesus, this Jesus can heal my servant. Otherwise, he wouldn't have traveled all that long distance. People travel long distance to get, meet some specialist doctor who they feel can treat a sickness. This is how he came to Jesus. And then you see another thing. When Jesus said, I will come to your house and heal him. And I believe, I believe Jesus meant that, that if his house was 30 miles away, he says, I'll walk there and I'll come to your house and heal him. And look at his reply. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. He was amazed that Jesus would come to his house. And he said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. You see what a humble opinion he had about himself. There are many, when you meditate on scripture like this, there are many things we can learn from an ungodly Roman military man. It's not only from godly people we can learn lessons. What a lot of lessons you can learn from this ungodly military man. <clears throat> he was so humble, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But he said, just, here's another thing you see in him, his faith. I don't know who this Lord is, but he seems to be some somebody connected with God. He didn't know him as the son of God or anything. But he said, I believe that you have the power that if you stand here and speak the word 30 miles away, my servant will be healed immediately. What tremendous faith. And because I'll tell you, he says, why I believe that. You know, military people very often can recognize other military people by something about their bearing. And this man was a military man a man with authority and who submitted to authority. And he looked at Jesus and he felt, I don't know much about this man, Jesus, but he seems to be some type of man who's under some authority. He's not just a person who wanders here and there. He's a person under some authority. He seems to be a person who moves under the authority of some invisible person I don't know. And he says, he says I'm also a man under authority. Look what he says in verse 9. He doesn't say, I am a man under authority. He says, I also. What does that mean? Lord, I know you're a man under authority. I also, like you, am a man under some authority. I don't know whose authority you're under. <clears throat> but I know the result of my being under authority is that because I'm under a general's authority, when I tell a soldier, go, he doesn't wait. He goes. And I say to another soldier, come. He doesn't wait. He comes. This is the military system of authority. There's no waiting. And he said, I know that if you can speak here, that sickness will go. And Jesus looked at this in verse 10 and he says he was surprised. He was marveled. There's hardly any place in the Gospels where it says Jesus was surprised. Can you imagine Jesus getting a surprise and marveling? The only thing that we read in the Bible that Jesus marveled at was faith. He always honored faith. That's been a tremendous encouragement to me in many difficult situations that I have faced in my life. I said, Lord, I don't know the solution to this and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to blindly trust you, that's all. 
I don't find an answer. I don't find a solution coming up anywhere nearby. I don't think anybody can help me. It's probably a desperate situation. But I trust you. My dear brothers and sisters, I encourage you to develop this habit. When you teach your children from a very young age, when they find some very, very difficult situation, they are in school or somewhere else, they've got a father in heaven, they can trust. And you remember what I read in Psalm 50, I don't want all your sacrifices. I want you to trust me when you're in trouble. It's a great verse. Verse Psalm 50 and verse 15, I want you to trust me when you're in trouble so that I can answer you and you can glorify me. Isn't that a good verse to remember? Teach your children that living Bible paraphrase of that verse. I want you to trust me when you're in trouble so that I can answer you and then you will glorify me. So that's what happened here and sure enough, uh, the servant was healed. He trusted him. And this, I don't know whether this is the same instance or a similar instance, which you read in John chapter 4. <clears throat> John chapter 4 and verse 46. Here Jesus came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And there was a royal official who, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And uh, he heard that Jesus was in Cana and he went to him and pleaded with him. He said, please come and heal my son, for he's at the point of death. And Jesus first spoke a word which sounded like rebuke, All unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And the royal official was not disturbed by that, what looked like a rebuke. He said, Lord, please come down before my child dies. And Jesus said, go, your son lives. That's all. And... His son was probably 20, 30 miles away in his home. And the man believed the word. See, this happened in Cana, verse 46. But the official son was in Capernaum. I think it's about 20, 30 miles away, Cana to Capernaum. And this happened, come all the way from Capernaum to Cana to tell Jesus, my son in Capernaum is sick. And Jesus said, he's healed. And th this is the interesting thing I saw. As he was going down, verse 51, his slaves met him. And uh, he asked them, when did my son get healed? Verse 52. And listen to this. You must read scripture carefully. I'm sometimes blessed when I meditate on scripture. And the servant said, yesterday, at the seventh hour, that is about one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the exact hour. Yesterday, at one o'clock in the afternoon, that's when I spoke to Jesus. 
and Jesus said he's healed and he believed. Now the thing that struck me there was if my son was dying 30 miles away and I came to Jesus walking 30 miles and he said he's healed, I would rush home immediately. And I'd cover that 30 miles. Even if I walked, I'd reach in 10 hours. He probably had a chariot. He could have got there in a couple of hours. But the interesting thing is, he didn't go. He stayed the night in Cana. It's the next day that he goes and his servants come saying, yesterday he was, they were healed. I say, what tremendous faith. That's the thing that encouraged me. This ungodly Roman man, he said, Jesus said it. I don't have to go and see whether my son is healed. I don't have to rush home. I'll stay tonight here and tomorrow morning I'll get up and go. And that's when he met, meets these servants on the way and saying, I find there's a lot you can get when you meditate on scripture. So, remember again what I read from Psalm 50. The Lord says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so that I can answer you. Or not only times of trouble, maybe you're going through some personal problem or some sickness or something in your body or something that is some problem that came because of some mistake you made or some sin you committed. The Lord says, it doesn't matter. I I want you to trust me that I can forgive you and I can take care of that problem. I don't want all your sacrifices. You know, the Old Testament is full of sacrifices. And for a God who commanded those sacrifices to say in Psalm 50 verse 15, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to trust me in the time of trouble. Dear brothers and sisters, that is the greatest thing we can learn And that is the greatest thing we can teach our children. So encourage one another daily to trust. I want to turn back to 1 Peter in chapter 2. We are given here the example of Christ in verse 21. We're talking about the different trials and testings we go through. And he says in 1 Peter 2.21, the greatest example in all the trials we go through is Jesus Christ himself. He's called our forerunner, meaning he went ahead of us and we see his footsteps. And if you follow Jesus, it says you follow in his steps. You have been called for what purpose? It's an amazing verse if you read 1 Peter 2.21. You have been called for this purpose. Now if I ask you, what's the rest of that verse? We think it's to go to heaven. Or to partake of God's nature. I've been called for which purpose? I've been called, the rest of the verse says, to suffer. Do you believe that? Is that how it is in your Bible? You have been called for this purpose to suffer. For Christ's sake. 
since Christ also suffered, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, not just suffer, but when we suffer, like we go back to Psalm 50 verse 15, I want you to trust me when you go through those trials and sufferings so that I can answer you and so that you will honor me and thank me after that. So Christ suffered for us and that is an example how he suffered. We have to follow in his steps. He did not have an easy way through life. None of the disciples had an easy way through life. But they trusted God. They trusted in a God who cared for that sparrow that cost only half a cent and who numbered every hair on their head. That is the father they trusted in. And Jesus had gone in front of them as an example so they could look unto him. And when he suffered, see his, uh, the way he reacted to it. He did not commit a sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That means he didn't complain against God. Lord, why you treated me? I've been so faithful. Why you treated me like that? No. He didn't complain or get angry with the people who treated him badly. And they slapped him. He kept quiet. He only said, if I've spoken what is right, why do you slap me? When they came to capture him and Peter cut off one person's ear, it's a beautiful passage. It was the end of his life. Here were people come with swords to capture Jesus to kill him. And Peter takes a sword and cuts off somebody's ear. And immediately Jesus' reaction is, poor chap, he's lost his ear. Let me heal it. He bends down, picks up the ear from the ground and fixes it back. This is our Savior. And if he did that for someone who came to kill him, what will he not do for us? These little, little incidents encourage me. When he was, was 23, when he was reviled, Reviled means when people said all lot of things evil against him and criticizing him and finding fault with him and telling lies about him. He did not revile in return. We can be tremendously tempted when people are speaking something rude and angry to us to retort in the same way. It even happens between husbands and wives sometimes. I'm talking about Christian husbands and wives. Maybe some one of them is under some pressure. Women sometimes can face pressures that men don't understand fully. And she may say something, maybe in anger because she lost her temper at that moment. And the husband replies in the same way. That's the time to think of what Jesus did when somebody reviled him. And to be merciful Always. Or the other way around. Maybe your husband was under some pressure. And he got upset and said something. Well, that's the time for you to be merciful. And think of Jesus who did not revile in return. Please remember these little expressions in scripture. We have to follow in his steps. Verse 21-22. Who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Somebody was angry with him. 
He kept his cool. And he never said anything. But what did he do? He didn't threaten. He's one person who could have threatened. He could have said, wait till the day of judgment comes, I'll teach you a lesson. No. No threats. But, and the word here is, he kept on entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. In other words, somebody rebuked him or reviled him. He entrusted himself to his father. Again, a reviling, he entrusted himself to his father. It's not just once for all. You got to keep on doing it. The meaning here is he kept on entrusting himself, saying, Father, you're the one who judges righteously. I will not defend myself. These guys are accusing me of something wrong, which I never did. But I leave it to you to defend me. And he goes on to say, in the same way, in the same way, verse chapter 3, verse 1, you wives, learn to be submissive to your husbands. That even if they are disobedient to the word of God, now I believe most of you got husbands who are not disobedient to God's word. But here he's talking about an unbeliever, a, a woman who's got an unbelieving husband. And even if your husband is unbelieving and they are disobedient to God's word, even then, win them by your behavior. What a challenge to win your partner by the way you behave, conduct yourself as they observe, not as not as they listen to your preaching that you're a sinner and Christ died for your sins, believe in him, but they get converted by observing your pure and respectful behavior. That's one of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me more and more as I grow older. Respect the dignity of every human being. Respect the dignity of your husband, of your wife, even of your child. The child is so much younger than you and you can easily shout and yell and scream and do all types of things, but he was created by God and I must respect his dignity. That word, respectful behavior, is something that I would encourage all of you to meditate on. We must speak to every human being with respect, especially those who are much lower in the social scale than us and those who are not so cultured and not so educated. Maybe you don't meet many people like that in India. I used to meet people like that constantly, particularly you go into the villages in India extremely uncultured and I mean they, they've never learned anything else. They, they, they're non-Christians who've never been taught you know to be considerate and we have to be respectful and it's not just the wives it says the husbands also you see this expression it all begins with Jesus let me show you the connection sometimes when we read you don't see the connection Christ suffered for us, 1 Peter 2.21, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. So that's the title. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who was very careful with, with what he said with his mouth, 
when people got upset with him, verse 23, he did not get upset with them, but kept entrusting himself, Father, please help me now to control my mouth. Please help me, help me. Do you think Jesus needed help? Yes, he needed the Holy Spirit because he was tempted like us. And he prayed, and that's how he overcame. Father, help me now that I will not retort in the same way. It's one of the best things you can do when you're tempted to get angry. Pray a silent prayer to your father. Father, please help me. Not to despise this person who's angry because he doesn't know you like I know you. So please help me to be kind and gentle in my response. That is Jesus. In the same way, you wives, when your husbands are upset with you, think of Jesus. And verse 7, in the same way, you husbands, Think of Jesus. You see that expression in the same way for wives in verse 1 and for husbands in verse 7? It's not just for the wives, it's for the husbands too. In the same way. When your wives are upset, please remember that's because she's weaker. This is the one verse in scripture which teaches us that a woman is weaker than a man. Not just physically, but emotionally and something in the constitution of women which makes them weak that they can get more easily upset than men. That's the Bible. It's not my teaching. It's not psychology. It says you husbands must remember that you're a man and because she's a woman and because of her constitution and various things in her body, she can be disturbed more easily. So remember, she's a weaker vessel. And it says here, you husbands, you must therefore give her honor. Now, if you don't do that, if you don't in a time of some tension between husband and wife, if you don't recognize you're the head of the house and you don't recognize that your wife is a weaker vessel, here's what it says. You pray and God will not hear you. That's what it says in verse 7. When you pray, God will not hear you. Boy, <laughs> I don't want that to happen. And that's particularly written to husbands. So, to sum up all that I've been saying, verse 8. All of you, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, live in harmony, sympathetic, kind-hearted, humble, never returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but blessing others instead. For you were called for this purpose. That's the expression we find earlier also. Verse, chapter 2 verse 21. You were called for this purpose. Again it says in verse chapter 3 verse 9. You were called for this purpose. So he says in verse 10. If you desire to see good days. And I want to see good days in my life. Do you want to see good days my brother sister. In the future. Here is a little bit of advice from the Holy Spirit to all of those who want to see good days in the future. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from deceiving. Turn away from evil and do good. Pursue after peace in your home at any cost. Your home must be a home of peace and pursue after it because the eyes of the Lord are always watching and looking at such people. 
That's a tremendous passage. And I want to encourage you to remember all these different verses. I quoted a number of verses. I was asking the Lord, what should I share this morning? And these are the verses the Lord laid on my heart. I want to go back and conclude with Psalm 50 again. Psalm 50. Verse 7. Hear, O my people. He's talking to Israel. The people in Israel, every day of their life, believe it or not, every day of their life, when they were in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, they saw sacrifices. There was not a single day, 365 days of the year, there were sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices. Both goats and bulls and lambs being killed. There was blood, 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 blood. And the Lord says, He says, that's not what I'm seeking. Do you think I want your bulls and goats? He says in verse 10, the cattle on a thousand hills are all mine. Why should I want your bulls and goats? You sacrifice birds. Says all the birds in the world are mine. I don't want all that. What am I going to eat? Verse 13, the flesh of bulls and the blood of goats. He says, that's not what I want. I'm not interested in your sacrifices. Verse 15, I want you to trust me when you're in trouble. So many of us have made many sacrifices perhaps in serving the Lord. Good. But what the Lord is saying to you today is, don't glory in your sacrifices, forget it. Do you trust me in your time of trouble? And we, if we live in this world, we're going to constantly face difficulties and troubles. You were called for this purpose, to suffer. Are you suffering in your life, in your family life, in your office life or anywhere? Remember that verse in 1 Peter 3, you were called for this purpose, to follow in Jesus' footsteps who suffered. But when he suffered, he did not revile. He did not say anything to hurt the other person. He he committed himself to his father and says, Father, you judge righteously. My conscience is clear. I have not done anything to harm that person. I, I will not, I leave it to you to judge righteously. And I tell you this, my brother, sister, God will answer your prayer. He's waiting for you to trust him in that situation. In that very difficult situation, some of you may be facing, I don't know. Trust him. I've seen that through many situations. I, I told you, one of the trials I went through was when religious people, I mentioned this many times, took me to court for 10 years. And I had to go to lawyers for 10 years because, because I exposed their wrong teachings. I suffered because I was a Christian. Not for anything wrong I did, but because I stood up for Christ and his teachings and they were disturbed by it. And it was not, they went from one court then to the other court and all the way to the Supreme Court. Can you imagine going up to the Supreme Court of your country? And the Lord stood by me. And I say, I will not revile in return. The Lord said, love them, forgive them, and trust me to take care of you. I remember those words very clearly. The Lord said to me, remember, religious people took me to court before they took you. So walk in my footsteps. 
and my footsteps are footsteps of faith in a father in heaven who knows everything that's happening to you, who numbers the hair on your head. Don't be afraid. And secondly, love your enemies. Bless them, even though they are trying to hurt you. And I said, Lord, I'll do that. And I did that every one of those 10 years, every day of those 10 years. And God made me a spiritually richer man. So the things that I've learned from the Lord did not come through just Bible study. The Lord had to teach me through some trials. So if you go through some little difficulty or trial, don't get discouraged, my brother. The Lord wants you to trust him. The Lord says, I want you to trust me that in this trial, I will see you through and then you will glorify me. Let's pray. So while our heads are bowed in prayer, I want you to think of what you heard today. Maybe one thing God spoke to you. Meditate on that and say, Lord, I want to respond to that. I want that seed to go deep into my heart and not let the birds of the air come and take it away so that by tomorrow it's forgotten. No, then the birds of the air have taken it away. Don't let the birds take away that word God spoke to you. Say, Lord, I want it to sink deep into my heart. I want to meditate on it. I want it to sink deep and take root in my heart so that the fruit will come from it in my life from now till the end of my life. Fruit that glorifies you. Help us, Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.